Welcome to the podcast that puts a finger on the pulse of medicine and technology. On this show, you'll hear from investors, industry executives, and healthcare providers on the science and business of medicine. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib, and this is the State of MedTech. Big things in the news again. Big things, and as usual in the medtech world, it's robotics. So last month, uh, there were some reports circulating that the robotics company known as Globus Medical, a publicly traded company, GMED is their stock ticker, was going to acquire Nuvasive, uh, stock ticker NUVA. Nuvasive is here in SoCal around the corner from me. Uh, which is a full-line minimally invasive spine surgery company, which to me was shocking because I thought that news invasive might be perhaps maybe maybe not too big, but just I did not see them ever being acquired. But I guess anything is possible, right? I mean, we'll never forget when Medtronic paid, what, $40, $50 million in cash to acquire COVID, and so, you know, these things can happen. Now, the deal didn't happen, but the fact that it was entertained gives us a hint of where robotics in spine and orthopedics could be heading. So here's what almost went down. So Globus Medical and Nuvasive would accelerate the consolidation in spine surgery market where smaller players are turning to deal making to compete against behemoths like Johnson Johnson, Medtronic, and Zoom Biomed. Now, with Nuvasive, Nuvasive has unfortunately struggled um, during the pandemic, and they've had persistent headwinds that ensure its, head, its share price is yet to get close to the level it hit in Q1 of 2020 when the pandemic started. To date, its share prices are down about 2%. Now, in contrast, Globus, which for me was very surprising because, you know, during a pandemic, I was expecting that you know, capital equipment sales would be very, very difficult. And so a company like Globus that primarily focuses on capital equipment uh, would struggle. And excuse me as I take a nice sip of my warm Mexican coffee here that I brought from Cabo. So in contrast, uh, Globus recovered quickly from the crisis and by August of this year uh, was considering other ways to grow its business through acquisitions. To date, their shares are up 10%. Pretty impressive. But are transformative acquisitions the key? Now, while I love seeing them happen, I mean, we all get excited when these things go down. My opinion on their value was really influenced by Baxter chairman and CEO Joe Almeida. Uh, back in 2020, I listened to Almeida speak via webcast at the 18th annual Morgan Stanley Global Healthcare Conference. Now, when the question, of course, that came up about large acquisitions, he said that they weren't off the table um, for uh, for Baxter, but that they are often not the best for business or investors. Large tra larger transactions do come with much more inherited risk compared to a smaller tuck-in deals, which for him, he defined those tuck-in deals as something that was $500 million or less and then tucked into the core business of Baxter. And, you know, honestly, he's right. Look, look, look at these acquisitions by the biggest players in MedTech. So Johnson Johnson's takeover of Synthes in 2012, Zimmer bio, Zimmer's buyout of Biomet and LDR in 2015 and 2016, then Stryker's 2018 acquisition of K2M. So what do these all have in common? Well, they're all examples of how hard it is to make spine deals actually work. 
And JP Morgan analysts feel that the J&J uh, deal failed to stem share loss. And then Zimmer is suffering continued declines from several years out still. And Stryker had a tough first year despite its integration expertise. Now, if we look at robotic acquisitions, we see something that's pretty similar. You know, while definitely the juice was worth the squeeze, when Stryker acquired Mako a, about a decade ago, it was in fact pretty messy and quite challenging. And this is just based on various accounts that I heard from people internal to the company back then. And then it's no, you know, it's it's nothing secret, it's very public that that acquisition very, was very difficult. I think Stryker acquired Mako for about, I think, $12 a share. Or, or at the time, I'm sorry, at the time, Mako's um, uh, shares were about 10 or $12. Stryker acquired them at a premium of, I think, 29 or $30, right? And so since then, I think that because of how difficult that integration was, most people were really conservative when it came to acquisitions. If you look at Medtronic, when they acquired Mazor for $1.2, $1.3 billion, uh, Medtronic partnered with Mazor first for a year, seeing, you know, to make sure that Mazor hit key milestones. And once they did, that's when they acquired them. So no matter how you evaluate them, transformative technology acquisitions are just not easy. But does it make sense, this, this Nuvasiv uh, Globus deal? Well, in Nuvasiv's portfolio, we can find some differentiated technologies such as its X360 anterior procedural solutions as examples of how it may bring value to Globus. Yet, yet, we also see some significant overlap in the core implant portfolio as well as on the navigation robotics side. So, you know, my question is, how do you reconcile Nuvasiv's Pulse platform, which is for navigation, with Globus's Excelsius GPS robotic navigation? Um, you could argue that the competing systems can be merged, similar to what Medtronic did when they acquired Mazor, but we have different variables at play. This is the one thing that people make the mistake of doing is that you know, when they try and compare things, they don't take into account the different variables, right? So unlike Mazor, Nuvasiv has its own hardware and implants, right? And they have a much bigger suite, suite of products. Unlike Medtronic, Globus may not have enough cash and leverage to possibly pull off such a big, you know, integration. And sorry, guys, like no offense, but just Globus does not, Globus is not Medtronic cash-wise, right? Now, it's been said that mergers are very much like marriages. They are the bringing together of two individuals. So if you wouldn't marry someone for their operational efficiencies they offer in, let's say, running a household, then why would you combine two companies with unique cultures and identities for that reason? But aren't we talking about acquisitions? Well, we were, but there are a couple of persuasion strategies at play. So let's start with the cats on the roof. There's a persuasion tell that often predicts what is coming. And I like to call it the cat is on the roof, which I was taught by world famous author and hypnotist Scott Adams. And Scott Adams uh, has a great track, track record of predictions, specifically in the world of politics. I mean, he predicted the Trump 2020, uh, 2016 landslide, but he he's able to tease out certain messages from the world of popular culture and politics as the cats on the roof and predict what's about to happen. So the idea of cats on the roof goes like this. When you're taking some care of somebody's cat and if it dies, you don't call the owner and say, hey, you know what, your cat died. It's just, that's just like way too painful and intense. It's just too much. Instead, you have to ease them into it by saying, hey, you know what, the cat's on the roof. Then you say, you know what, the 
cat jumped off the roof, it got hurt, but we're going to the vet and so on and so forth, preparing the owner for the inevitable, which is the cat died. It eases people in. The other point of persuasion is thinking past the sale, okay? And with thinking past the sale, um, everyone, you know, let's start with something, you know, a very good example. Everyone says that I'm the greatest marketing mind in healthcare that ever lived, everybody. Now, regardless of what you just thought, the point is that you had the thought and argued for or against what I just said. That's thinking past the sale. And we often see this in a very common scenario, which is when you go buy a car. When you go buy a car, the salesman will always say, hey, what color do you want that in? Even if you argue that you're just there to browse, the fact is that you thought about buying and even argued against it. That just unlocked the mind. Now let's look at the robotic, uh, the surgical robotic market. Now, according to Alira Health, who put out a fantastic report, I recommend you go check it out. The robotic assisted surgery market is projected to grow from 7 billion in 2021 to 20 billion in 2030 at a 13% cager, okay? Their report, again, which I recommend, uh, points out a few trends. First, the number of deals in the robotic-assisted surgery space has constantly grown over the last few years. Large medtech players are entering the market or strengthening their position with new acquisitions. And at the same time, well-established players are expanding their portfolio of services, building a completely new ecosystem for their robotic-assisted surgical platforms by acquiring AI and image navigation companies, among other technologies. Now, what's interesting is that this growing market has instruments and accessories as the main sources of revenue, okay? Well, how much? How about a whopping 50% plus? So 50 plus percent of the market cap right now for surgical robotics comes from instruments and accessories. And by 2030, Revenues coming from system sales and services will lose another combined 6%, increasing consumables share accordingly. Service contracts are also shown to decline, again, from 17% in 2020 to about 16% in 2030. But the point is that while the cost, the revenue that's coming from selling the capital equipment, aka the robot, and the service contract is going to go down. And just to tell you how big of a deal that is, I believe last year, almost one third, one third of Intuitive's revenue came from service contract, right? So that's a, that's a big, big deal. Now, what does this all mean? Well, it means something that is very sad to me, and I saw this coming along with my co robotic colleagues back in Missouri many, many years ago. And that is the robot is being commoditized and it's becoming a feature of the implants. It pains me to say this. I know everybody who's in surgical robotics was like, no, no, why did you say it? Guys, we just gotta, we just gotta kinda come to terms on this. Uh, surgical robotics are becoming a commodity, especially, I'll speak specifically in the spine and orthopedic world. And more specifically, it's a feature that enhances the implants and hardware a surgeon uses. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this happened when uh, the larger players, uh, Medtronic, Zimmer Biomed, Smith & Nephew, and Stryker, essentially all acquired their own robots. And the robots were essentially used to be a Trojan horse that helped enhance a deal for a hospital to use one company's hardware over another. 
The globe's new base of acquisition is a cats on the roof moment of what's coming, a merger. Um, and news of an acquisition, you know, really has already gotten the market to think past the sale, uh, which includes everyone within those two organizations. And, and who knows how that news got leaked out, right? Um, when you're dealing with two public companies, if you've watched any of these like really popular shows on HBO or Netflix, like Succession or Billions and everything, you know, when somebody's trying to acquire or merge with somebody else, like, you know, these little things get leaked out somehow, some way, for some reason. Um, but when it takes place, and this will take place, that deal would create one of the largest players in the spine space with about a 17% market share. So whether it becomes a merger of the two companies or an acquisition, that's not the point. The point is that this activity indicates that robotic platforms and spine orthopedics have now become a feature of the hardware. And while this is sad news for me and my robotic veterans, there is something exciting. With the commoditization of robots, as trends show, um, there's and, and as trends show there's a decrease in cost and servicing, will this be the thing that finally gets medical device companies to come up with a true SaaS model? Now, we might be on the cusp of innovation, and this had to happen at some point because the razor razor blade model again you sell capital equipment as the razor and the razor blade is the disposables etc this needs to be replaced with something new and different right hospitals are over it um, and we're at a point where we've squeezed as much juice out of this razor razor blade model as possible that doesn't mean it's going away i mean there's no way it could go away but something new and different has to come into play and that would entail improving on data capabilities, developing powerful algorithms, and architecting platforms that will yield true network effects. I feel that up until this point, a lot of robotic companies, they, you know, they have data, they have software, but it's kind of been like an afterthought. It's just been really focused on the hardware and registration, some visualization, and mainly just to get in to sell hardware and implants, right? But the death of one technological movement will birth one with an even bigger vision. So those are my thoughts on the news. Let me know what you think. And as always, we'll see you next time. Take care, folks. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The State of MedTech. I'm your host, Omar M. Khatib. Do us a favor. If you like this episode, share with somebody and go ahead on Apple and Spotify, wherever you are, leave a five-star review. Type a few nice notes about us. This is how we get other people to find the show. Thank you. and We'll see you next time.